Hello and welcome back to episode 5, season 1 of Grateful Gwenna. Thank you so much for joining me. These podcasts share my testimony as a Christian woman survivor of domestic violence, as well as others' testimonies. We share real-life stories and struggles with true biblical advice, support, and empowerment for abuse victims and overcomers. You can support this podcast at anchor.fm slash gratefulgwenna. Let's get started. Today's episode is about how can I help my friend? What do you do if you suspect a friend of yours is being abused? Or what if you know she's being abused? And I'm going to use she because um, statistically speaking so far, the the majority of abuse cases and victims are women. So even though it happens with men, and I'm a woman, um, the majority of them are women. So I'm going to speak to women, but this can apply to anyone. So how can you help your friend? What if you have a friend that you suspect could be being abused? Well, um, please grab a cup of coffee a pen and a journal or a notebook or a piece of paper. Um, I recommend some place where you can keep this organized. And if you don't drink coffee like me, I like to drink water, bottled water, um, orange juice, milk, tea, whatever your favorite cup of joe or whatever is. And uh, grab your pen and, and let's get started. First, we need to identify what can be some of the potential signs of someone being abused. It's a touchy, tricky line because as a friend, you don't want to offend your friend or their partner or husband or whomever you suspect could be abusing them. And you want to be careful and cautious so that you don't further endanger your friend. So it's kind of a tricky, sly way you need to go about this. Um, and I'm speaking as a domestic, survi- domestic violence survivor myself. So grab your pen and I have for you first um, 12 possible warning signs that could indicate that your friend may be in an abusive relationship. Please understand and know that one or two of these signs could actually be an indicator of an abusive relationship. So um, please write these down. Um, These are 12 potential signs that your friend could be in an abusive relationship. And these are from the National Domestic Violence Hotline website. One sign is, um, and this is written as if you are the one being abused. One sign is if you're partner or your husband or your significant other is telling you that you never do anything right. Another sign is if your partner is jealous of the time that you spend with others or jealous of you not spending time with them or you spending time away from them. Sign number three can be if your partner is preventing or discouraging you from spending time with family and or friends. Um, Typically, most abusers are very controlling and insecure, and they don't want you to um, 
they want to isolate you. They don't want you to have that support of friends and family so that they can basically brainwash you. Um, these commentaries are mine and are not from the National Domestic Violence Hotline. From what I've experienced myself, what I've learned in researching over the years. Sign number four that your friend or you could be being abused is if your partner insults you or demeans you or shames you, especially in front of other people. Um, my ex-husband used to call me a pig and a fat cow all the time. Ironically, when he started calling me that, I was very thin. I was five foot two and weighed about 107 pounds. Um, but any type of insulting or demeaning or shaming you, especially in front of other people, is definitely a sign that there is abuse in the relationship. Sign number five, if your partner does not allow you to make your own decisions, especially about work or school. Sign number six is if your partner tries to control the household finances. Um, they may be the one paying the bills or they may be the one controlling where the money goes, how much it gets spent. They may give you an allowance, which in some cases that's not abusive. In some cases, that's what the couples have worked out. But if your partner is in control of the finances and you get little to zero say, then you could definitely be in an abusive relationship. Sign number seven, you could be in a domestic violence or abusive relationship is if your partner pressures, pressures you for sex or to do sexual acts that you're uncomfortable doing. Um, you should never have to do anything you're uncomfortable doing. And some people believe that, well, once I'm married, I can do whatever I want. No, that is not true, especially biblically speaking. Sign number eight is if your partner pressures you to use drugs or alcohol. Sign number nine is if your partner threatens or intimidates you in any way about anything. Sign number 10 is if your partner insults your parenting or threatens to harm or take away your children or your pets, or if he actually does harm or take away your children or your pets. Sign number 11 is if your partner tries to scare or intimidate you with a weapon like a gun, a knife, a bat, mace, anything like that. And sign number 12 is if your partner destroys your belongings um, or anything in your home or your home. And um, I have an example of this in my own personal marriage. Um, most of you know, if you've listened to my other podcasts, that I was married for a total of 17 years once. And <clears throat> one time my ex-husband got very angry and I don't remember why. I just remember what happened. And um, we had been given a cordless phone back in the days. Those were back in the days when cordless phones were the new hot in thing. Um, but we had been, I had been given a cordless phone as a wedding gift from my coworkers where I was working at the time. And he got angry with me and picked up that cordless phone and threw it at my head. Thankfully, I ducked. But um, so there's a there's a sample of um, number 12. So those are 12 signs, according to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, of that you or your friend or loved one could be in an abusive relationship. Okay, so now we know that those are some of the signs. There could be others. And if you look on the power and control wheel that was talked about in one of the other episodes, um, you will see 
that, um, look at that website and look at that infographic, that visual there, um, you'll see some other signs of abuse. So I highly recommend that you take a look at that Duluth model, or even if you can't find the Duluth model, just that power and control wheel that I shared with you on that episode, on that podcast. So let's say now, oh, oh, you're like, oh, okay, wow. All right. You know, my friend definitely has some of these. And, you know, I know sometimes people say, well, I'm asking for a friend when they're really asking for themselves or they think it's a joke or it's funny. Obviously, in this case, it is definitely not funny or anything close to funny at all. Abuse is serious and we should never be laughing about it ever for any reason. Um, But if it's you, hang on tight because there's hope. And if it's your friend, hang on tight because there is hope. Uh, An old friend of mine made a comment to me and she said, um, and this friend, uh, she's from my old church and her daughter had been being abused, physically abused by her boyfriend. And this mom, my friend, um, just, I remember her feeling very distraught. She said, and she gave me permission to quote her, Families of domestic violence victims often feel helpless as they cannot do anything except pray. While prayer is the best weapon, it would be beneficial for families to have a place to go connect and get support as the subject of domestic violence is isolating, especially in church. So um, she said I could quote her. So I want to thank you for that comment. Uh, Mrs. Terry Storms, I really thank you for that. And... um, Thank you very much for your comment. And what she's saying is completely true. Um, I also uh, experienced, which will probably be in another podcast more in depth, this topic, but I also experienced spiritual abuse from one of my churches that I was attending for a long time because I feel like churches are ignorant about this, meaning lacking knowledge. Churches are all about the goal of reconciliation. They're all about getting people to make up because that was Jesus' ministry, right? Was getting people to reconcile and make up and forgive each other. The problem with abuse is you can, while you can forgive sometimes, and you should forgive, um, but sometimes people, especially abusive people, can look at that as condoning the behavior, which that is definitely not the same thing as forgiving, So there's just a whole different nuance when it comes to domestic violence that is not conducive to reconciliation ministries. And so I feel like a lot of churches don't understand that and they're not really trained for that. So we need to educate our churches. But again, that's a whole nother topic. So you you look through this list of the 12 signs that you just wrote, taking notes um, from what I've been speaking here in this podcast The 12 signs where one or more could be signs of abuse in a relationship, whether it's your relationship or your friend or your loved one's relationship. And you're like, okay, I've identified, you know, a couple, one or two or more of these. And yes, I really think my friend is in an abusive relationship. So now what? What do I do? What can I do? And you probably feel a little helpless. I definitely know my my mother friend I mentioned earlier, she definitely felt helpless. So how can you help your friend? 
Well, grab that pen again. I have a couple of resources for you. Um, there was an article in the Huff Post that was originally written and published on October 30th of 2014, and then it was updated on December 6th of 2017. It was written by Pamela Jacobs. She is an attorney, an advocate, a speaker, and a writer who dedicates herself to empowering women and working to end sexual assault and domestic violence. And at the time she wrote this article in 2014, um, she had been doing this work and this ministry for over 15 years. So she suggests five things you can do to help your friend. Number one, tell your friend you're worried about her. Number two, ask what she would like to see happen. Okay, so number one, tell your friend you're worried about her. Um, a very good friend of mine from years ago, uh, this actually works. She told me that she was concerned about me. And it kind of shook me in a couple of ways. Number one, it made me realize I was cared about and she actually believed me. Um, I kept the abuse quiet for so long. And when I finally did speak out about it, cautiously and carefully, but when I finally did speak out about it, most people didn't believe me. I mean, I had been excellent at covering it up, and so had he. So I took a drink of water. The other thing it did when my friend Carol told me she was concerned about me, besides um, a relief because someone actually believed me for the first time, was make me realize, oh, and I had to really take stock and think, wow. If she's that concerned about me, it must be really serious. Like this must be a serious issue. And it was a little bit of a wake up call for me, especially because my friend Carol, she is a very laid back type person. Like nothing, literally nothing phases her. She's happy all the time. She's joking around and laughing all the time. And I immediately sensed the seriousness in her voice when she said this. So those were a couple of things that, you know, my friend telling me she was concerned about me did for me. So number one, according to the HuffPost article by Pamela Jacobs says, tell your friend you're worried about her. Number two, ask her what she would like to see happen. And, you know, I'm reading the, the, the five steps that are listed in this HuffPost article, but then I'm commenting my own about it for you. Um, but if you ask her what she would like to see happen, this will cause her automatically to process a little bit of what she's going through in kind of a non-threatening environment and without you telling her what to do. You know, it'll help empower her a little bit. Number three, the suggestion is offer to call an advocacy program for or with her. Um, you know, that can be a little less intimidating if you know someone who's willing to do it with you. It's also scary if you have a really super controlling abuser, which most of them are, and you're worried they're going to find out somehow what you're doing. And you know that if they find out what you're doing, there's going to be hell for you to pay. So it can help you if you have someone that offers to call an advocacy program for or with you. 
Personally, I would recommend with her, not for her, because I think it's more empowering. That's just me personally. Everyone's different. But I think it's more empowering if you allow her to get herself out of this. Step four is to reassure her that the abuse is not her fault. I will tell you that was my number one struggle in my abusive marriage was I blamed myself for everything. If he would call me a fat cow, I would blame myself and say, well, it's my fault because I ate McDonald's yesterday or it's my fault because I'm fat. And at the time I was actually skinny. Um, in fact, I was so thin back then that people thought I was anorexic, which I was not. Um, but the number one thought I struggled with was it's my fault. Well, if I were a more submissive wife, he wouldn't treat me that way. I used to think things like that. And, and you get in this where you're just brainwashed, you know, especially if you believe the Bible, um, because a lot of people, including myself and my ex-husband, are given false biblical instruction. Um, Scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in Ephesians 5.21. It doesn't say only the wife has to submit to only the husband. And so there's a lot of brainwashing that goes on. So make sure you reassure her that the abuse is not her fault. I can almost guarantee you that that will, she'll probably be in tears, Um, but maybe not if she's used to hiding her emotions, which is another coping mechanism that you use and you learn. And according to the HuffPost article, finally, step number five you can do, they recommend, is be there to support her no matter what she decides. That's extremely important because every domestic violence victim, they have to come to the understanding on their own. It's sort of like an alcoholic, but different because you can't change a person. You can't force a person to want to change. They have to want to change themselves. Well, it's sort of similar with domestic violence in the sense that, you know, number one, she has to realize it's got to come from her. She's got to want to get out of that situation. She's got to want to get to a place of safety. And she may still be a little bit in denial and blaming herself. But you can plant the seeds. And again, these are my comments on top of the five steps of this article. Um, So be there to support her no matter what she decides. You're probably going to feel frustrated with her if she doesn't decide to leave right away. And that's okay. And you know what? She can see that you're frustrated with her. That'll let her know you care. And she might feel badly. She might feel guilty for, quote unquote, making you feel that way. But... It'll be good for her, in my opinion. Again, I'm not a licensed counselor or therapist, but this is my experience I'm sharing with you. And I've done research for over a decade after my 17-year marriage. But for me, it let me know people care about me um, and just be very patient with her. So that's the first resource I wanted to share with you. And today's podcast is going to be slightly longer. So feel free to pause and come back later if you need to. But don't forget, um, because the next thing I'm going to share with you, I think is extremely valuable. And this is the last thing I will share with you today. So keep that pin going. Um, The Office on Women's Health 
suggest 10 things you can do to help a friend you suspect is being abused. So are you ready? Here we go. Number one, set up a time to talk with her. I would add to that, go into this time to talk with her prayerfully, okay? Um, Make sure you pray ahead of time and ask God to give you the wisdom to speak whatever words she needs to hear, whatever words he wants you to speak. Ask God to put his words on your lip to minister to her heart and her mind and her soul and her emotions and her well-being. Before I forget, thank you so much for caring so much about your friend. It's a risk getting involved in a domestic violence situation. Step two, according to the Office on Women's Health, let her know you're concerned about her safety. Again, that's what my friend Carol did for me, and that was a little bit of a wake-up call for me and shook me up. Um, Just on a brief Shakespearean aside here, a side note, my biggest wake-up call personally was when I was with my counselor, which I went mostly by myself. I highly recommend um, that if you or your loved one or friend is being abused, that you seek not only a regular counselor, but a counselor who specializes in domestic violence, abuse, anger management, things like that, and victim um, dom- victims of domestic violence, because it's not the same as regular counseling from my experience. But my biggest wake-up call when I was with my counselor and he looked at me and he said, Dr. Mark Barnes was his name, one of the best counselors I've ever met in my life. And he looked at me and he said, I have two sons and they were young at the time. And he said, Gwenna, let's pretend that your sons are adults, which they now are, but back then they weren't. He said, what would you do? And I apologize, I'm going to have a bad word here. So cover any little ears that might be listening, which hopefully they're not listening to this anyway. But he said, what would you do if you found out that your son, Michael, was abusing his wife? And I thought about it a second and I looked at him and I said, I'd do two things. I said, number one, I'd give the wife money to leave my son. And number two, I would go and beat the shit out of my son. And then I apologized to my counselor for saying the word shit. (laughs) Okay. And of course that didn't phase my counselor at all. And he looked at me and he said, then why is it any different for you, Gwenna? Because see, and that was my wake up call that shook me up. Because see, as moms, typically, at least for me anyway, and I think a lot of moms, we'll allow a lot of crap to be done to us. We'll allow ourselves to be mistreated. But you better not touch my baby because that mama bear's coming out, right? (laughs) So that was a huge wake-up call. So number two, Office on Women's Health, let your friend know you're concerned about her safety. That's also going to help her know it's a serious issue and she's not being irrational, illogical, or overreacting, which are things that she may be thinking and feeling, especially if her abuser is brainwashing her. Number three, be supportive. I mean, I think that's just common sense. Number four, offer specific help. Um, you can offer child care. You can offer just to be a listening ear. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do and pray for her. You can offer transportation if she needs help with transportation. Um, you know, it's a very scary thing leaving an abuser because statistically speaking, 
Um, it's very dangerous to leave an abuser. A lot of women are murdered for trying to leave their abuser. So if she knows she's got some financial support in place before she has to make that big, scary decision, that could really help her to catapult her into taking that big leap of faith and trusting God. Number five, do not place shame, blame, or guilt on her. I have an example from my life of this. Um, I finally confessed to my family, my dad, my stepmom, my sister, and my brother years ago that for over a decade, I think it was 13 years or something at that time, that I, my ex-husband, my husband at the time had been physically, emotionally, et cetera, abusing me. And one of my stepmother's first reactions to me was, don't poke the bear. Basically, you should know better than to tick him off because you know he's got a temper. That is called shaming the victim and blaming the victim. And it was not my fault how he chose to react. And it took me years to figure that out. And when my stepmother said that to me, don't poke the bear, uh, it placed undue, unnecessary, and misplaced guilt on me for what my ex-husband was choosing to do to me. Uh-uh. Never do that. I don't think you would anyway because you're trying to help. But some people think they're helping by saying stuff like that. And I really think my stepmother thought she was helping. But it just made it worse for me. And it put me even more in that, oh my gosh, everything's all my fault, brainwashing, you know, guilting myself. So step five, don't place shame, blame, or guilt on your friend. Step number six, and this is probably the most important step of all of them, help her create and make a safety plan. Um, you can get... Um, a guideline of how to make a safety plan from the Domestic Center for Nonviolence online. Um, basically, uh, what I recall, which was years ago, is you have a backpack ready with all your important paperwork that you might need in case you have to leave at a moment's notice. And at a moment's notice, and you have basically pack an overnight bag for one or two nights. So probably a change of clothes, underwear, toothpaste, toothbrush, deodorant, and, you know, have it ready to go. Um, if your abusive, sorry, if your abusive husband doesn't, um, I apologize for the alarm. If your abusive husband doesn't check your car, maybe you can store it in the trunk of your car or something. Find a place where he's never going to find it. And you're sure he's never going to find it, but you can grab it at a moment's notice in case you have to flee in an emergency um, and develop that safety plan. Uh, for me, at the very end, I ended up planning, pretending, which was hard, and planning um, my escape when he was at work. And I actually had the locks changed while he was at work. This was the beginning of my empowerment years ago and packed him a suitcase and put it outside the locked door. And he actually legally had to get a sheriff because there was a history of domestic violence also 
to come and schedule a half hour for him to come get his things and he had to be accompanied by a sheriff. So step number six, probably the most important thing is to help her make a safety plan. And I highly recommend a backpack that he cannot find. It's very important that he not find that backpack because that's going to tick him off even more if he finds it. So um, again, you can find tips on how to create a safety plan and or a, a backpack um, on the Domestic uh, Center for Nonviolence website. Office on Women's Health, step number seven to help your friend, encourage her to talk with someone who can help. Here are a couple of telephone numbers for you. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E-7233. The National Sexual Assault Hotline is 1-800-656-HOPE, H-O-P-E-4673. So 1-800-656-4673 is the National Sexual Assault Hotline, and 1-800-799-7233 is a National Domestic Violence Hotline. Step number eight, if your friend decides to stay in the abusive relationship, continue to be supportive of her. Um, for me, I kept going back to my ex-husband. Part of it was that I believed that he would eventually change because Luke 137 says nothing is impossible with God, and that's true. But I personally believe that God also does not impose on free will. So if someone does not want to change, I don't think they're going to change. That's that simple. And it wasn't about me, and it took me years to figure that out. Um, but I kept going back to him. I even went back to him after he strangled me. Five months later, I went back to him after he strangled me. And I remember that very first night back, I had my um, cordless phone under my pillow. I can't believe in hindsight that I was actually sleeping in the same bed with him. But I was terrified and I barely slept that night. And I remember him getting angry at me that I had the phone under my pillow. And I said, well, if you hadn't done what you did, then I wouldn't be afraid. Now would I? And that was one of the first things I said that was an empowering statement. I do not recommend saying that to an abusive person because most of the time they will retaliate and they will take it out on you in their anger. Thankfully, my ex-husband did not. And it was a good thing I had my phone on me that night because at four o'clock that morning, I got a phone call that my maternal grandmother had passed away. But I went back to him after he strangled me. That's how messed up in the head I was. It was also partially because I was so brainwashed and I thought everything was my fault. I thought if I were a better wife, he'd be a better husband. That's not how it works. Water tastes so good. So if she decides to say, stay, continue to be supportive of her until she's ready. I also had to make and create a plan I had to be ready spiritually, prayerfully, emotionally, physically, mentally. I had to be ready and I had to be shrewd as a serpent and gentle as a dove. I had to be wise about it because my ex-husband was extremely controlling behind closed doors and I knew that if he knew my plan, he would try to stop me and I knew I couldn't allow that to happen for the sake of 
my own safety and my son's safety. The Office on Women's Health, step number nine. If your friend does decide to leave, continue to offer help. Just be there, whatever and however she needs. I remember one time my um, oh, my ex-husband was angry with he, me and he was in the car behind me chasing me in the town we used to live in. And in a 35 zone, I was going 65 miles an hour trying to get away with, from him and he was right on my tail. And the boys were in the car with me, which was very dangerous. Do not recommend it at all. Do not do this, okay? But I was trying to get us away from him because he was in one of his fits of rage, one of his rages. And I knew it was going to be bad. So I quickly called one of my friends. Well, first I called the pastor and he couldn't, he didn't answer. So I had to leave a voicemail. So I hung up real quickly Then I called my friend that lived not too far from where we lived in a next neighborhood over, and she happened to be a counselor, and she happened to know what was going on because I had finally started telling people about the abuse, and I, she could hear the panic in my voice when I called her as I was speeding away from him or trying to, and I couldn't shake him at first, and she said, Gwenna, come here, lose him, come here. And you can, I'll open the garage door. You can park in the garage. We'll close the garage door and he won't even be able to see your car. And that's exactly what we did. And that time, thankfully, I managed to escape him. Um, So thank God for her. And I don't want to say her name in case he ever hears this because this is a public podcast, which I seriously doubt he lets us into podcasts, but you never know. So, um, and yes, I'm safe. He lives on the complete opposite side of the state where I live, and he's remarried to someone else. So thank God. (laughs) So anyway, um, number nine, if she does decide to leave, continue to offer her help however you can. She's going to need that support because she has kind of at least a little bit depended on her husband. And finally, step number 10 offered by the Office on Women's Health is let your friend know that you will always be there no matter what. It's really important that she feels some sense of security, even if it's, quote unquote, just a friend. Again, thank you so much for how you're trying to help your friend. This is just an introductory um, recording and podcast on, you know, episode on, you know, some things you can do to recognize possible signs of abuse in your friend's relationship or even your own and some ways that you can actually practically be of help. Unfortunately, you cannot fix it for them. Kind of like as a parent, you can't fix your children's problems. Before we finish, very briefly, I want to tell you that I wish someone would have done some of this for me. Obviously, I did have some blessings, as you can see. My friend who allowed us to hide the car and hide ourselves in her garage until my ex-husband was calmed down and... My friend who told me she was concerned about me were just a couple. I also had some really well-intentioned, well-meaning, Christ-following people that didn't have a clue what they were talking about when it comes to domestic violence. Um, A deacon of our old church tried to get me to do something, and it completely backfired. I had tried to tell him it would. He didn't believe me. It did. Then he apologized, but the damage was done. But you know, it's not their, it's not their, these people's fault. They don't understand the true dynamics of abuse and domestic violence. 
Um, what was the other thing I was trying to remember? Um, there was someone else who had tried, oh, there was a friend of ours who lived in a close by neighborhood who tried to mediate between us. And I tried to tell her ahead of time that it wouldn't work. She didn't listen to me. She tried to mediate. It didn't work. She apologized. Okay. People are trying to help. Those things don't help. The steps I'm giving you here from the National um, Center for Domestic Violence, the Office of Women's Health, and the HuffPost article, those are actually practical steps that I highly recommend. Again, I'm not a counselor, licensed counselor, or therapist yet, but these are my experiences. And I want to help anyone I can help. Again, it's wise and smart to be careful about your exit plan when you finally do decide or your friend finally does decide that she wants to get to safety. So just the beginning of how you can help. If and when she finally does leave her abuser, please be there for her. And if you can't be, find someone for her who can be. Be careful. Churches are great, but they don't typically know how to deal with domestic violence. Again, they're usually, in my experience, their ultimate goal is bringing people to Jesus, which is not a bad thing, and, which is an excellent thing, bringing people to Jesus and reconciliation. Their ministry is reconciliation because that's what Jesus was about. But in the case of domestic violence, this, in my opinion, does not work. It's a completely different set of circumstances, a completely different set of nuances. And if you look at the power and control wheel, you'll see what I mean by these behaviors. So thank you so much for listening. And please let me know your comments, questions, concerns. And I have now created a Facebook group called, it's a public group called Grateful Gwenna, where I post polls asking you what topics related to domestic violence you would like me to speak about on these podcast episode recordings and to share your thoughts with me. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for helping your friend that you suspect might be being abused. Thank you for being cautious and prayerful. And remember, I love you, but Jesus loves you more. Until next time, God bless you.